Hello. 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 And welcome to Curl Up and Die, the podcast with your two favourite people. I'm Sky. And I am Lozzle. Lozzle Court. Lozzle Court. Lozzle Court on the beatbox. I am now Skylar Hannah. You are now Skylar and, and Dr. Skylar Hannah. Mrs. Uh, you do- what is it? I'm like- not a doctor. Yeah, what, do you- <laughs> <laughs> what do you get to put after your name? Uh, like MT. MIT. <gasps> Mitt. Mitt. Skylar Hannah Mitt. Mitt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you that from now on. I'm just no. I'm gonna put you on my phone as Skylar Mitt. Fine. What does it stand for? Master Institute Trichologist. <laughs> a member of the Institute of Trichologists. <laughs> Master of Trichology. Yeah, it should we're be Moth. <laughs> so yes, um, this is the hair podcast. Podcast about hair. So if you're interested in knowing about. Anything to do with hair, this is us. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Um, we cover all things from, you know, from the... brands to... Anything that you were interested <laughs> If you were a hairdresser, not a hairdresser, interested in hair, technologies, technologies in, inside hairdressing. Yeah, I think that we, we cover a range of topics. Yeah, it's things that we would find interesting. So really, this podcast is just self-indulgent. Because basically, me and Sky like to talk to each other. And now it sort of stopped us from telling us really exciting things. Because we go, oh, no, no, wait, tell us on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> basically, we used to get really excited over stuff. And we thought we may as well just record it and see what happens, you know. So we hope you guys like it. I kind of, I actually, it's really sad. Is it really sad that I listen back? To no, ourselves. I would listen to it. I would go, oh, that's interesting. I forgot that. Yeah, I think that's always fun. I always watch yes. our YouTube videos back. Just you know, they were like, because I think they're funny. yourself. <laughs> yeah, but I am actually really funny. Yeah. So, like, I have the, I have the right to laugh at myself. Okay, so I am going to do, like, a sciencey one, which is diff- a bit different for me. I do, I do like sciencey kind of stuff. Um, it's sort of... It's like, I think with these topics, I always start with, with an idea and then they kind of branch out into something else, you know? So I'm going to talk about a little bit about hair history, but I'm basically talking about ammonia. Okay. Yeah. You look at me like. No. Like, so it's like. I'm going to talk about ammonia. Ammonia, what it is. Well, what it is. Perfect because do you know what? A lot of the time what we're having is we're. Obviously, the manufacturers come to us and they say, hey, we've got ammonia-free color. And we go, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, it doesn't smell, it's better, and it's kinder on the hair and all that But uh, don't go too far because you're now basically ruining my whole thing. Nope. <laughs> all right, I'm done. Imagine she didn't say that. Right, okay. Okay. Okay, so um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about pH. So pH of the hair is 4.5 to 5.5. The hair is naturally acidic. Um, so is your skin. The general rule of thumb is that the inside of your body is alkaline and the outside of your body is um, acid. So things that are acid-based are better. This is very general. Things that are acid-based are better for your skin and for your body on the outside. And then you should eat more alkaline foods. Why? Why is it better for your skin to be acidic on the outside? Better. Why? Oh, I don't know that. Better for pathogens. Because... Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So obviously acidic is much better for... Killing the, killing the pathogens. Killing the pathogens. And also, the reason why you have to eat a lot of alkaline foods is because it regulates the stomach acid in your stomach and stops you from getting acid reflux. That's why if you eat too many sugary things that are acid-based, you get acid reflux. I promise it's about hair. Anyway, right, okay, back to hair. So, um, 
basically, um, what ammonia does uh, essentially is lifts the cuticle to allow the colorant to go in. Okay, so with traditional traditional hair color, you get um, a, a water-based molecule that's inside the hair, inside the color. Did you know, fun fact, that inside a tube of color, do you know how much of it is actually hair color? Inside a tube, less than 0.1% is actual pigment. Not did you not know that? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, genuinely. Wait, in a permanent in hair tube? In a permanent hair tube of colour, less than 0.1% is actual pigment. The rest is the rest of the stuff that goes in it. How weird is that? That would be... Uh, do you know what? This podcast just proves I know nothing. Well, it proves I know nothing because when you say things, I'm like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry about the coughing. Um, so, basically... Um, Ammonia lifts the cuticle, allows the, the water to, to the, the water molecule to go inside the cuticle, and then the usually there's like an agent inside the color that allows the molecule to close, right? So, um, I, I wanted to talk about like a little bit of history behind ammonia and where it sort of came from. So, um, in the 1931, uh, uh, Howard Hughes released a film called Platinum Blonde. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay, with Jean Harlow in it, yeah? Um, like, her nickname was the Platinum Blonde. So that was where the name, the, the word Platinum Blonde was coined from. Right, got like, it. From Jean Harlow and from this movie called The Platinum Blonde, okay? I remember, like, the film about his life with Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. And he's on the red carpet with the blonde babe, but I didn't know, like, who yeah. it was. So it's okay. Jean Harlow. So, yeah, so Jean Harlow. So she went to extreme lengths to reach her famed Platinum Hue, right? So Alfred Pagano was her hairdresser. Don't know, I don't think he There's was. Always an There's always an Italian. There's so, always an Italian. There's always an Italian behind so that. We use peroxide. Right. Clorox. Oh my God. Which is like toilet bleach in the States. Oh God. It's like Domestos. Uh, and Lux Flakes, which I'm guessing is just some sort of pasty, like talky kind of thing. And pure ammonia. So they would mix pure ammonia in with that... And also, I read an article that I didn't really write down because I thought it was a bit, it was a bit crude. But back in the day when they used to try and dye people's hair in like Roman times, they would apply things um, like really horrible, and then they would pee on their heads because pee has ammonia in it. <laughs> How did they know to use that? <laughs> I don't know. How interesting is that? I don't believe that. Somebody well, yeah, sat well... there and made that up. <laughs> but anyway, what the hell? Right. So, but um, people like. Basically, many fans, like rich fans back in the day, tried to dye their hair back to match it. But obviously, back then, bleach didn't exist. Hair, t- traditional hair bleach. Clearol hadn't even bought out their original dye that lifted hair in 1951. So, like, there was nothing to bleach hair with. So, they used to just use, like, um, like a paste. So, like, you could almost use talc. You know what I mean? Like, you or, like, a powder-based anything. You could, like, like, you know, cornflakes or whatever. Then they'd mix... The, the ammonia, the peroxide, and the Clorox together to make bleach. Hor- horrendous. Um, and this is like the PR thing surrounding this. So many fans quickly followed suit, dyeing their hair. Hughes' team even organised a chain of platinum blonde clubs across the country that would have a $10,000 prize to any hairdresser who could get someone's hair platinum blonde. That's amazing. Platinum blonde competition. Why Love don't we have those anymore? Love it. I mean, Why don't we I do that? Win. Open hair chair night. Yeah. Like, that's what hair that should be. Hair club live. Listen up. Listen, that's what it should be. <laughs> no, no, no. What they should do. Oh, I've got a brilliant idea. You bring in a model, right? Yeah. That's got a hair colour. And you've got to make that hair colour on your model. But they don't tell you anything about it. 
you've got to create the exact same thing on that person. That would be fun. That would be lit. Right, anyway. So, um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about... So, basically, um, in 1975, a man called Dr. Sharmi, who is the creator of Biosilk, the company Biosilk, you know, yeah. have you heard of those? Um, created the first ammonia-free hair colour in the world in 1975. Uh, he has 23 patents pending. I counted, I went and found them. Uh, so he was all, he was the first person to use silk proteins in the creation of the product line. Um, and basically he's he worked with um, NASA technology to try and create a safer working environment for hairdressers. Because basically back in the 70s, obviously, people were using a lot of ammonia-based products and it was not good because ammonia is a gas not a liquid. So the reason why ammonia smells, in case you didn't know this, is because it's a gas. As soon as you break the molecule down, it, it like the gas breaks down and goes out into the... the did you know that? I didn't know that. You did know that. I actually okay, did. Okay. <laughs> oh, damn it. I was like, oh, I'm going like, to ruin it. Because I have to know all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> like, so, yeah, basically... Um, so ammonia-free hair colour sort of started in the 70s, right? Like in the 75, it was created. Um, then in 1979, uh, the FDA tried to insist that hair dye manufacturers place the following label on their products. Warning, contains an ingredient that can penetrate your skin and has been determined to cause cancer in laboratory animals, right? So this was like a big turning point in the industry of almost like when hairdressers and, and manufacturers are almost like, we need to really sort of buck our ideas up about like what products we're putting in and those kind of things. Because like, a lot of these chemicals are becoming carcinogenics. Exactly. So they were almost like, we're going a bit mad with what we're putting in here. We need to be a bit more like... So the FDA is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, whoa, <laughs> honey. Right, but actually, this is the thing. Um, like, basically, um, <clears throat> it shows... The FDA... Um, basically um, said that it shows significant scientific evidence of being carcinogenic. However, um, manufacturers disagreed and threatened to sue the FDA if they pressed for the label. That's so, then. That's so, manufacturers. Like, they sort of... So it was kind of a back and forth between... What them. do you mean, carcinogenic? Yeah. Mm, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> uh, just like the grey hair pull. Uh, the FDA like backed smoking. down... Yeah, exactly. Manufacturers removed the carcinogenic compound from their formulas... Um, maintaining that what they were doing was safe right so sort of late 70s early early 80s it's sort of like hair color is becoming very important in the in the world and also it's becoming like it's it's becoming like a staple in the industry and i can't remember the date but it was around the 70s where in the in the states you you had you didn't have to put your hair color on your passport anymore oh really because before that day it could be anything well, you could you had to put your hair color on your passport. But obviously, it wouldn't matter anymore. It wouldn't matter, yeah, exactly, because so many people are coloring their hair, right? So we get into this kind of like thing, and then for me, I think the the big thing is that um, you we had this sort of change in the industry. Probably, I I reckon it was probably about two thousand to two thousand and five, where ammonia free hair color really sort of took control of of what you were doing. Would you agree with that sort of time frame? Yeah, I mean, you had the hundred year anniversary of L'Oreal and then you had like Inua at the same time didn't it yeah so Inua launched in 2011 is that okay well that's about that that is about 100 years yeah because it was like 1909 yeah so it's about a 100 year anniversary yeah Yeah. 
So it's like, so the, the thing is, is like, you know, we had lo loads of things. So you get all these different things like now in the industry and, and especially at home as well. You get like, you know, no ammonia and it's got no ammonia in it. And I think the problem is, is I think that, you know, a lot of health beneficial websites and a lot of health beneficial people see ammonia as this really bad thing, which depends on how you look at it. Because if you look at something like, you know, Diet Coke versus normal Coke, right? Normal Coke has sugar in it, flat rate sugar, yeah? Diet Coke has aspartamine in it, which essentially is the same thing, just not sugar. So they basically made a bio version, like a fake version of sugar, which is also probably more addictive. So you have to think about the composition of the product. So the interesting thing, side bar note mm -hmm. here, um, I was actually listening to... Um, uh, a professor in hematology mm -hmm. and he was talking about how um, aspartamine will be one of the main things that we will all look back on and go I can't believe we've done that yeah yeah 100% aspartamine is like is like a horrendous thing like I'm addicted to it and I know it right so it's like but then so so what I so basically um, there's a product called MEA called monoethanolamine and that is the essentially a, like a a fake version of ammonia almost like aspartamine is a fake version of sugar right so in things like l'oreal inua in um a lot of like um ammonia free ranges they contain mea now the difference between mea and ammonia which you did i hope you know this i hope you don't know this is that mea is actually a liquid it's not a gas that's why it doesn't smell didn't know didn't know that so mea monoethanolamine is a gas not a liquid however you have to use six times as much monoethanolamine as you would do ammonia in a product because of the power because of the power of it so ammonia is like so it almost goes back to that old argument of like would you bleach the hair twice with an olaplex in it when you would just bleach it once without it and it'll be fine you know it comes back to that old that age-old kind of discrepancy discrepancy of like but if you're just mounting the power yeah i mean that's the thing so it's like um but basically like it's and what is the power what do you mean well basically what is it why well i think the the reason the reason why ammonia has such a strong thing is because ammonia has always been used in the industry for that reason it's like one of the main it's one of the main components of color so it's almost like you can't remove ammonia from hair color it's always going to be in hair color. And the main reason is we've got to open up Because you've cuticle. got to open the cuticle. Yeah. So however you spin it, at the moment anyway, without any sort of other... To open the cuticle, to get to the cortex, the, it needs to be opened. And it needs to be alkalined. And so the alkaline agent needs to open up the cuticle. So depending well, on what you have... I have to say something, right? The one thing that I really don't get is mm -hmm. that you know... And I know, and we're not going to say what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. But currently, we are testing a color removing product. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that is that is acidic. It's so acidic. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's like, like lemon acidic. It was it was between one and two in acidic. It's yeah. like basically a lemon. And the thing is, is like it's removing color. It's removing color. But the idea is that okay. So basically, what we're saying is like alkalinity lifts lifts the cuticle it opens yeah. the cuticle to allow you to, allow to you remove get in, it to get or to get in yeah like uh, to either melanize the hair or oxymelanize the hair yeah so we're like we're like all there right and then we've got 
somebody, without sounding too mysterious, sending us a product. Mm-hmm. And we tested the pH of it, and it was like 1.5 on like, acidity. And that is mental, guys. Like, because, how are you lifting hair? Because the hair actually feels, like, slippery. So we're talking about, you know when people are putting lemon juice on their hair? Mm-hmm. But you know what the interesting thing that I sort of had this, like, epiphany over the weekend? And I was thinking... People used to put lemon juice on their hair to actually help oxidize color. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really removing color. And the thing is, it's like, as long as you're massaging it and stuff. But I was like, it was blowing my mind. Anyway. Anyway, so no, no, it's, it's, it goes as part and parcel with the conversation, really. Because, like, the thing about ammonia is that, like, it's not, it's not something that I, I feel like, I feel like it gets a bad rep. You know, like I, 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 it's all almost in a sense of like, it gets a bad, bad reputation because. Well, what's the what's the carcinogenic? Um, it's nothing, nothing of to do MEA. With it. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost. No, no. Like, what is it? I don't know. I don't know if it's carcinogenic at all. So it's almost like. But what I'm saying is that you know, ammonia is like a key is a key element of what you do as a hair colorist, right? It's like your hair color cannot do cannot be anything without ammonia. So if you want to have bleached hair or lifting hair you can have no ammonia bleach but let me tell you that no ammonia bleach doesn't lift you know there is there is physically no way to lift to get that cuticle open enough to allow the bleach to go in now the thing is it's like yeah okay you look at you know uh, like okay so when we look at a noah a noah is ods which means it's an oil delivery system so it works in a slightly different sense because the molecule of the color is still water but actually the oxidant is oil-based. So what ends up happening is that, you know how we were talking about the water and oil retracting, um, like basically what happens is like the, the oil-based oxidant sort of obviously oxidizes the hair as well, pushes that molecule inside, so it sort of helps to push it. But the cuticle still needs to be opened. So MEA, which is the um, alkaline that technology, alkaline agent inside that product, is still gonna lift the cuticle to some degree so my point about talking about it is almost like, is ammonia one of those things that has been naturally gone from the industry, right? Well, it hasn't because there's still or, a lot of ammonia-based color. Or is it being pushed because of a social norm, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I Because a majorelle is like ammonia.com. Yeah, but And you're... that's like 50% of L'Oreal's business. It's like massive. Well, that's for lots of different reasons as well. There's cost involved in that. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, are consumers, are consu- is ammonia-free hair color in response to consumer? It depends on who you're listening to. So it's like, you're on the, you take the person who's buying box dye. Mm-hmm. They see a shelf. Yeah. They're going to see lots of different colors, and then they have the ammonia-free color. Yeah. And a lot of the time, not every time, but a lot of the time, that ammonia-free color will be maybe that little bit more expensive or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's all about consumer choice, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's becoming a little bit about that. But there's lots of research talking about, you know, the the carcinogenic side of ammonia and stuff like that. But it's all in relative. Yeah. Because the jury's still out. Like, it's never really, in terms of amounts, it's just like how we get exposed to certain chemicals throughout our household, how we get exposed to certain chem- chemicals in daily life. So sometimes with some of the dye technology, it's the jury's still out on some of that. Yeah. The one I mean, thing that they have is like in terms of like, you know, the benzene rings type of thing is that, um, you know, people in textiles 
looking at that because they've been dealing with dyes for a very, very long time. Mm. So it's all very interesting. I think I think the thing about ammonia is that like we we as an industry, I think, don't really understand what it what an important part it plays in hair colour. Because when you have an ammonia based colour it definitely looks different to a not to a non ammonia based colour. A hundred percent. Well, in terms of coverage. Not necessarily just in terms of coverage, but you get like you get more of a blanket colour. Yeah. So your colour is definitely stronger with ammonia in it. But I then mean, you obviously get the smell. But my personal preference isn't blanket colour. No, I don't want that either. You know, but the thing is is that I would want the option of having naturally beautiful colour. I mean if somebody said to me, Go back to that, I would be like, But it's not it's not necessarily the the guests coming through the door. Yeah. They tend to want to have something a little bit more like a beautiful colour rather than like you know, the woman that is, you know, in her late 70s with a dark dye being applied to her roots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing about, I think it's just important to remember that, you know, not all bad eggs are always bad. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to defend my bro, Monia. Yeah, because <laughs> well, everybody, because everybody's coming in and they're saying, oh, like, I want to know money. Well, there's a certain amount of that, and then there's a certain amount of like, you know, the other side to it. If you don't need it, but I mean, we I'm, and I'm preaching to the like. This is the thing in the salon that we have. We don't even have ammonia based color, so it's not as if I'm trying to defend a corner that I like. I do believe for guest sake and for social stake that we shouldn't be using ammonia all the time. But what I'm saying is like. Was it really all that bad? But was it, it? That's what I'm trying to say. Was it really that bad that you had to? Like, yeah, it was bad when Jean Harlow was scooping it into a bowl with with Clorox and peroxide <laughs> sticking on her head. Yeah, it was bad then. You know, it was bad in the in the twenties. It might have been bad in the sixties. But what I'm saying is, like, it still amounts for a huge market of our professional industry, and also free from in all aspects of marketing. Not just in hair colour, in food, in drink, in, you know, the word diet or the word, like, less fat or less ammonia. Is, like, is that always the right thing to be doing? Not necessarily. So I think, as, was ammonia ever that bad? Or was it pressure from consumers that made hair companies not use ammonia? Because they were more than happy to use it in the 50s. I think it's a bit of both. And also time is a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's interesting because you think, like... Like in the fifties, they were like ammonia, give it to me. You know, like, they were, like Jean Harlow was like, put it in the bowl. You know, like yeah, with the Clorox. Oh, also a fun fact about Jean Jean Harlow. Tell me, tell me. Um, actually, here's something that I forgot to mention. Um, mixing household bleach and ammonia creates a highly noxious gas, which can lead to kidney failure. Right? Did Got you know it. That? Well. Jean's hair was dyed using the deadly mixture once a week for up to five years and she died of kidney failure when she was 26. So people have attributed her death to her having platinum blonde hair. <laughs> that is so like the, that's dying for so, that blonde. So dying. That is dying. You that is curl up and die. Yeah. It is dying. <laughs> Curl up and dye your hair blonde. Okay. That is dying okay. for that blonde. Like seriously, how fucked up is that? That is... Like she had kidney failure from having she a scalp She probably bleach. didn't know she gets kidney failure. She died in her 20s? 26. From kidney failure? From kidney failure. And she's like inhaling this mixture? Yeah, she's probably like... 
slapping well, on her roof. Yeah, but she's not doing yes. it herself. Ooh. Imagine hey, a hairdresser. Wait, where the hair, where's the hairdresser? Yeah, baby. Was he not like trialed for manslaughter? And also, right, okay. <laughs> no! <laughs> where's he? Where's he? Where's that Italian, yeah, babe, make it blonde. It'd yeah, be better with for his you. lax flakes. Yeah. And his Clorox. <laughs> and his peroxide. <laughs> like, you lunatic. <laughs> but that is like, that's what it's all about. Like, I want to go back to those times. No. You know, when I... You know, when nobody was watching what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could just put whatever you want in whatever bowl you want and stick it on. No, no I'm only joking. I don't want my guests to die of kidney failure. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, okay, it was bad. That's what I'm saying. It was bad then, you know? But is it that bad now? Probably not. I think it's going to be one of those things that we look back on in the industry. It's definitely a carcinogenic thing, though. You've got to... You've got, you couldn't say that it isn't. There's hard fact on that now yeah but then eating too many tomatoes is a carcinogen so like, yes, 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 yes so yes, like yes, no but yes. you could argue that till the cows come home couldn't you yes. you drive a car it's all very loose you drive a car when you get to that section <laughs> in trichology it's like, it's like, oh, like well it could be loosey goosey yeah no it's it's quite firm and like like chemistry bit is quite firm but the interesting thing about the ammonia thing it's like you do go through a lot of chemicals and you go, and that's a carcinogen. And that's a carcinogen. Yeah, but isn't everything a carcinogen? Yeah. Anyway, it was very interesting. Anyway. It was good. Uh, my turn. Okay. I'm drinking my tea anyway, babes. Yeah. <laughs> He's not spilling it. He's drinking it. I'm not it. spilling it. I'm drinking it. Mm. Um, so I thought it would be really interesting to talk about a little bit of the science of hair growth. Because I think that stuff is interesting. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting if you're, if you don't know it. I think it's really helpful to understand, you know, uh, I'm hoping that what we'll do is go on to talk about more sort of hair loss things. I'm very, very interested in, in as you know, is some of that stuff. So it is really interesting to see all the different parts of the hair because the hair is a lot more interesting than you think. It has lots of layers. It has lots of like cycles and lots of things going on. Oh my God, does it have cycles? So... <laughs> Yeah. But I think also we get a lot of questions from guests and from team and from everyone about like how hair grows and what's like what happens and because I think that it's almost like not common knowledge to the public. So it'd be really interesting to talk about, I think. Yeah, I feel like it's a big it's a big one to tackle a little bit. So um we're gonna have a go. Science, smarticles. Smarticles of the hair growths. So I suppose what a really a good way to start is that your hair does grow in a cycle like what Lloyd has said. Um, and as you know, this cycle, it is antigen, catagen, telogen, uh, canogen, and exogen. Mm-hmm. There you go. Those are the five. One, two, three, four, five. You're <laughs> like, how many? How many? Five. Um, your antigen grows for about a thousand days, your, which is the growth stage of the hair cycle. Um, 
and there's lots that we could speak about with all this, but we're going to give you the crash course of a lot of it because there's a lot to get through. Your catagen is about 10 days, so it's kind of like at a point where the hair stops growing and sort of detaches um, and starts to migrate towards the top. Mm -hmm. Telogen is kind of known as a resting phase. Yeah. And for like years and years and years, we've always known anagen, catagen, and telogen as the cycle. But kenogen and exogen were added uh, later on. Actually, um, not that too long ago. Not, too, not, long, not that long ago, yeah. Yeah. And uh, kenogen became more of a, an elongated resting phase. So more like a dormant... Yeah. Like a dormant phase, yeah. Yeah. And exogen is the pretty much the exiting of the hair. Now, all very debatable. People sort of talk about it. It's all new science-y, but it's becoming more firmer nowadays. Um, and when you kind of think of the cycle, those are the most important things. But the thing to take away is that your hair is basically growing and exiting, growing and exiting. And as you get older, this cycle can become more latent. Yeah. Um, you become slower. The yeah. gaps between anagen and regrowing of another hair can be longer. Like, so the dormant phase can be more prolonged, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you can get prolonged dormant phases. Um, yeah, and people's cycle can be a lot shorter, whereas sometimes you can have people's antigen cycle can be people's. People's. People's antigen can be a lot longer than other people's. people's. So, like, for example... <laughs> what is that word? People's. So, for example, <laughs> like, you have different cultures and different... Um, ethnicities and different backgrounds that generally have longer um, anagen cycles. So, for example, you get a lot of um, Indian, uh, Indian sort of Asian women who can grow their hair really, really long, and that's because their anagen cycle is longer than most people, right? It can be. So, different ethnicities can have um, a little bit longer growth cycles. Everybody's anagen cycle can be very different it could be five years it could be seven years i'm sure the 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 person that has the, the guinness world time. book of records hair has a very long antigen cycle yeah. like she has i think her hair is like 25 feet jesus it's like ridiculous so unique um yeah so sometimes you can see people with really long hair and you think why is that not me well genetically maybe sometimes that can't be you um now that's the the cycle it has nothing to do with the actual strand density because when we look at the strand density we're looking at the layers of cuticle not necessarily the amount of follicles that you have on your head big subject we can get that into that a little bit later but it's really important to understand the cycle and that way we can kind of sort of get into our heads that the hair sort of grows and then it releases it grows and, and releases. releases from the same place um, sometimes we sort of know the diagram of the hair going into the dermis, mm -hmm. but in actual fact, uh, there can be a lot of the time, lots of hairs going into one spot. Oh yeah. Like we, we see this a lot of the time when we're using our scalp cameras, especially people with, um, strong follicular density yeah. where people have got loads of hair. Like you get two or more, three, four hairs two or three, from, four hairs from the same, same follicle. There's no scalp left yeah, really. Like, they've, they've got to fit in when there. When you look at my hair. Yeah. There's like about 20 coming out of each hole because they just need to squeeze in, you know? So we only ever, when you see a diagram of a hair growth, you only ever see one. Yeah. But actually it could be multiple, which I think is really cool. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah. No, I, I think it's like sometimes when people get around the whole idea of what it looks like. Yeah. 
it's a lot more complicated in reality, but sometimes they just have the whole hair diagram to make yeah. it simple, which I'm just about to do. So yeah. when we have the hair and it's inside uh, the skin, we've got three different layers of skin. So we've got our epidermis, our dermis, and our subcutaneous layer. Now, the, Also known as the hypodermis. Also known as the hypodermis. <laughs> anyway, so the hair is um, papilla is situated in the dermis. The, this, the whole unit that involves the muscle, the gland, and the hair is called the phyllosebaceous unit. Now, um, when we look at that, the actual dermal papilla is wedged into that dermis area. And um, that is where all the cells are multiplying really fast. Mm -hmm. Now, um, hair is actually classed as an appendage. Did you know that? No. It is. Oh my god, okay. Yeah, yeah. Factoid. Factoid, it is an appendage. It is an appendage. So you've got lots of hundreds of thousands of appendages flowing in the hair. All over your body. Flowing in the air. Yeah. Yeah. In the hair and the air. In the hair and the air. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also it's one of the fast uh, multiplying cells in the body. That's why when you're having um, chemotherapy or anything like that, anti-cancer drugs that target fast-growing cells. It's one of the um, one of the cells in the body that will stop uh, oh, growing. I didn't know that. Due to uh, anti-cancer drugs, yeah. So that's why chemotherapy, when you suddenly lose your hair, mm. um, you're into um, antigen effluvium. So okay. that's actually when the hair just releases because, you know, chemotherapy, drugs like that, they target uh, fast-growing cells, and oh, that's why okay. the hair goes. Interesting. Bye. Bye. Yep. So, um, so we talk about the hair itself. Uh, the phyllosebaceous unit is a lovely little papilla. Think of a bulb inside the dermis, mm -hmm. and then you have a nice little sebaceous gland. I love a sebaceous gland. Sebaceous man. gland. It's not a sweat gland. It's a sebaceous gland. The sebaceous glands are oil, and they help lubricate the skin. Mm -hmm. lubricate the hair they also help defend against um pathogens yeah so um and those are really helpful and also it gives the hair its acidity yeah and also correct me if i'm wrong on this but i was trying to explain this to someone the other day and i was like the reason obviously sweat glands are made of water and urea and all that kind of stuff and then well it's like point zero yeah one yeah. percent urea but yeah we're gonna get into that <laughs> everybody remembers Everybody remembers urea. Pee. <laughs> Your sweat's peeing it. Uh, but like, the is the sweat gland comes out of a pore. Yes. Whereas the sebaceous gland is attached to the hair. Yes. So actually it comes out of the same hole that your hair comes out of when you have sebum. Yes, generally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's your sebaceous gland, hair, sweat gland. You've comes got out of apocrine and eccrine sweat glands. Yeah. And they all come from sweat pore. Out of different holes. Different holes. Different holes. For different different, different goals. holes. Different holes. Different goals. Yeah. Well, no, but that's why I was trying to explain to the team about sweat <laughs> versus oil. You know, like how oily hair isn't sweaty. And hair. they turned off the podcast. No. <laughs> okay. So, and we've got so we've got our hair, yeah, mm -hmm. situated in our dermis, mm -hmm. and then we have our sebaceous gland, and then we have our erector pili muscle. Highline muscle. So did you know, this is like you're telling me, and I'm like, did you know this, right? Did you know? I was reading a book, uh, was it a book, or watching a video, or listening to something with an evolutionary biologist who said that 
the erecti pili muscle is a leftover that was unnecessary from when we were a mammal. When we were a non-educated mammal. Because you naturally, like, it's, it's a, basically he was saying it's like a waste of a, it's a waste of a, of a cell in your body. It's like something left over from evolution that we shouldn't have. Like, for example, how the eye, you know, how all the, you know, how the eye is like done backwards. Mm. Like how your, your retina, like it should go from the front to the back, you know? But actually, it spreads all the way through the eye and around. It's like it's like an evolutionary fault. Oh. Someone said the erectile pili muscle is like an evolutionary fault that we still have one. So the erectile erector erectile pili muscle. Um, you know this muscle. You know it very well because it's the muscle responsible for goosebumps. It is. When you hear me sing, yeah, the erectile pili muscle just goes. Pukang, yeah. patang, like a, like an elastic band. Yeah, so when you get your hairs, stand it on your arms and the whole thing, that's your erectile pili muscle working its job. So that's your pretty much your filosebaceous unit. Now, your hair is, uh, like I said, a fast-growing um, cellular appendage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's all multiplying down in the papilla, which is down at the root of it. Now, when you are, um, think of the best way to kind of get around this, when you are in, your, your stem cell of that particular hair is actually making sure that the hair is regrowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you know anything about stem cells, basically they're um, undifferentiated cells. Yes, they're kind of the, the starting point. They're the starting point. It's like Eevee and Pokemon. Don't know Pokemon, but yeah, sure, cool. Um, no, she starts off as like one Pokemon and she can become like any Pokemon. Basically, so yeah, that's stem, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> anyone knows Pokemon, you know. She's totally saying. that. Yeah. So basically you have these stem cells and um, what they do is they multiply and you differentiate into what becomes the inside of the hair, the cortex, the very inside of the hair, the very inside inside, which is the medulla, um, which that is... You know, another topic another for another topic, day. Another topic for another day of uselessness. and um, Another evolutionary fault. Yeah. Well, it depends. If you're a polar bear, apparently it helps with insulation. That medulla is fat in a polar bear hair. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. The, the medulla is massive in polar bear hair. You won't need to worry about polar bears much longer. Maybe it's insulation the there. Going. You don't... <laughs> <laughs> and then, obviously, then stem cells can differentiate into cuticle... So that outside layers, there's also lots of different layers inside the hair. So one Onions of the things... have layers. <laughs> they have layers. Ogres have layers. <laughs> Where that's from? Yeah, that's from Shrek. Okay, good. Um, okay, so you have your sort of outside, which is your hair cuticle and everything like that. You have um, an inner and an outer root sheath. So those are kind of like layers that... Um, you kind of see your um, inner root sheath when you pull out the hair a little bit. You see that little white yeah. thing. Yeah. They're, so basically, that, that sheath grows downwards to kind of help that when the hair is being pulled away. You know when you get that pull, that ouch, mm. that's that inner root sheath working against you. Oh, okay. Yeah? Go on, inner root sheath. Yeah. Work, inner root sheath. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you can see the inner root sheath actually come out. Especially you can see it in Afro-Caribbean hair where the inner root sheath comes out into something called hair casts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they look like little ringlets. So sometimes they get um, little, almost like casts over, like little white little casts around the, yeah. the hair. Weird. So, uh, yeah, and you can see them a lot in traction alopecia when you see a lot of pulling of oh. Afro-Caribbean Ariana hair out. Ariana <laughs> when you Ariana, see... please. Stop pulling your hair Stop back. Stop pulling your hair back in that ponytail. Oh, that hairline is going. Ariana, if you're listening, I know you are. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're listening to a hair podcast, but, like, stop putting your hair back, for reals. Okay, so your your derma papilla is, you know, going away, sort of making all these different cells. Um, This is where we also create the melanocyte. The melanocyte is a cell that's uh, responsible for pigmentation. I know we were talking about that before. Um, where, it's either in this episode or another episode. Yeah, the melanocyte is responsible uh, for pigmenting the hair. And skin. Yeah, and skin. Yeah, so yeah. basically creating your colour. Yeah. So when we're looking at the inside of the hair, we've got um, the cortex. So that's where kind of like all the magic happens when we colour the hair. So we've got our macrofibrils. Uh, microfibrils, protofibrils, keratin chains. What? Who's like? Whose turn is it? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just know that. So like, it's like a song. Yeah. So that's sort of like the 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 whole thing of um, kind of getting the structure of the hair together. And I think it's really important because um, you know it's it's kind of important to sort of see how the hair grows and how it sort of comes out and kind of creates a picture of what's going on like even the sebaceous gland when you're looking at the sebaceous gland and uh the sebum actually helps lubricate the hair you've reduced the condition of your hair at the roots then to the ends we're looking at old keratin but you know that that sebaceous oil really does help um lubricate um and helps protect the skin as well mm-hmm. so um i'm trying to think where was i okay on the rest of the crash course of this um it'd be good to go over the uh two different types of hair types that you find on your body Mm -hmm. so you have terminal hair which you find on your scalp armpits chest pubic it's got pigmentation um your you know, you know these type of hairs. Um, then you have vellus hair, which you have on your arms, just sort of baby hair, fluffy, sort of very thin hair. Very thin. Yeah. Um, you tend not to have, um, I think you tend to not have a sebaceous gland attached to that. To vellus hair, no. No. Um, I don't think that that is that case. It's more sort of terminal hair that you have your sebaceous gland it's where kind of like all the stuff is happening. And this stuff becomes really, really important because when we're starting to think about things like hair loss or even just the things like chemotherapy, um, we're thinking about like what's happening to the hair and why is it doing what it's doing. And then we can start to think about like why our hair is pigmented. You know, we were talking recently about how the melanocyte is no longer active. We were talking about that drug. That, uh, yeah, the drug, the supposed drug, the supposed drug that will, uh, make white hair go away. But obviously the chemistry of that is very different. 
And it's very internal, the, the side of that, because why we create white hair is um, not necessarily solved, but we do know that it does have to do with stem cells and it does have to do with um, the melanocyte and the inactivity of tyrosine and tyrosinase um, and how that reaction does not happen together, um, which is you know a more complex um, sort of understanding of the melanin structure. But in any sense, we, you know, that can be brought on by stress or sickness or anything like that. But also, um, the hair can just lose uh, pigmentation because of age, genetic factor. So, um, same things with hair loss. We sort of decrease in hair uh, loss, sort of generally the um, European hair mm -hmm. tends to lose its density uh, past the 30s. Mm. So, our hair is no longer as thick as it was when we were 16, which we get all the time. We get somebody coming in. The photo of when they were 16. Yeah. You go, babes, you're 61. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going like to have that like, density anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't happen like that. What about people who say like, oh, I was in a car crash and all my hair fell out. Does yeah. that happen? Yeah. So you can have trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have trauma where you're... Well, you can see trauma in length, can't you? Sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes what can happen... So say, for example, sometimes the hair is in antigen phase and there could be something that could happen, even as simple as a tooth extraction mm -hmm. or heavy dental work, anesthetic, um, heavy surgery or anything like that. You can actually see a release of the hair that sort of kicks into catagen and then goes into telogen. You can actually see it as like a, like it's all the same growth okay. as it comes through. Yeah. So uh, yeah, sometimes people can be in a car accident, but one of the things that is mostly related to that is whiplash. Okay. You tend to get a, a release and a kick into catagen intelligent from whiplash. Not the, of actual, all things. not the actual stress of the car. Okay, that's Yeah, well, it can be the stress of the car, but the actual whiplash thing is very specific. Um, what about those, those like, men who, like, gorilla people? Do you think that's all terminal hair? That's, like, a, it's called something. I don't know the name. Hirsutism. Okay, yeah. yeah so, like, so, they have terminal hair all everywhere, right? Yeah. So, you can have terminal hair growth. Um, in areas where it shouldn't be, yeah. um, that can also happen. It can happen. It can happen genetically. So uh, you can have a uh, hirsutism, um, but um, you also find hirsutism in um, hormonal. So sometimes uh, hormones, especially with women, you can get hair growth in areas that is not normal. So uh, male type growth on the chest, on the chin. Um, and areas like that, um, and that can be related to polycystic ovarian syndrome, okay. things like that. Is so, it testosterone? Uh, yeah, but that's like kind of for another, oh, yeah, another no, time just, because we yeah. can definitely we can, <laughs> we can like we could go down that like yeah. for sure. And I know that we could definitely sort of talk about that more and more and more. But yeah, you're you're basically having an effect on um, on that. But that's going into PCOS and everything. Okay. Um, but it's very very interesting, and I. I'd love to speak about that later, but I'd like to save it for, for another time. Save it time. for another time. Yeah. So, um... Well, thank you so much for listening. Yeah. It's been a thrill. <laughs> it's currently 11 p.m. where we are, but we've been loving it. Yeah. You know, we had a little little snack. We watched The Apprentice. We watched The Apprentice. Screaming at the television, at by the, the television, way. Screaming at the television, going, you are stupid. <laughs> and, then like, and then like taking a blanket or a pillow and putting it over our face because it was so cringy. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. 
It was. It was. But it's so funny. It's so people, funny. people in that like they must have a better. They're just. They must be television. better than that in real life. No, no, no. They're on television. It's like being on a podcast. We say something stupid, it'll be fine. No, I don't think it's fine what they did today. No, it was a travesty. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Oh, have an unbelievable day, by the way. (laughs) Bye.